This podcast is brought to you by Stormaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at Stormaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Sometimes we need to sort of go against our instincts and say, wait, just because it worked for me before doesn't mean it needs to work for me again. It's a completely different audience. It's a completely different product. It's different needs that I'm answering right now or trying to answer. So I would say try to avoid overformulating. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm your host, Jonathan Fishman. I'm VP Marketing here at Stormaven. And today, I'm really excited to be here today with Ariel Cohen, who's Head of Marketing at Tango. Hey, Ariel. What's up? Hey. Great, great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. For sure. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself uh, for a bit? Sure. So uh, Ariel Cohen, like you said, uh, head of marketing uh, at Tango, Tango's uh, live streaming social platform. Um, we do nothing but live content. So no, no pictures, no videos. It's uh, either you're live or you're not. Um, and that's uh, that's. That's the exciting space we're in. Amazing. And what about your path? Well, what's your experience? Like, how did you start um, in this industry of uh, mobile marketing? All right. So I started at Editor, a uh, mobile games agency, about a decade ago as a second employee. Uh, grew with the company. So we, we started with small accounts, not many clients, and, and grew quite quite quickly, actually, to become one of the leading uh, mobile games agencies in the world, working with uh, the biggest titles, you know, uh, Rovio, Miniclip, uh, Playdy Kazinga, etc. After about three or four years, we got acquired by Playdica. Um, so we became marketing for Playdica from within the company. And I ran the Bingo Blitz and House of Fun um, budgets, basically making sure we meet uh, all the KPIs from uh, from the GMs. Then I left Playdica to start my own startup in the live streaming and real money, um, which seemed to me like the future. Uh, but unfortunately, I couldn't. Nice. Yeah. No. What was it? It was like a real uh, live uh, gambling. <laughs> yes, actually, actually, it was it was quite quite similar to exactly that. Uh, you were you were able to watch live uh, people, other people gamble, but you could participate in their winnings, like in a in a once in a something chance. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't get it off the ground um, because I couldn't I couldn't get the funding, the required funding, fast enough uh, to make it happen. So I had to let it go. Um, went to some consultancy work. Uh, this is how I ended up also uh, at Cape as a consultant. 
And we had a project for three months or so, I think. And we did quite well. So they offered me a permanent position as a basically mobile director. It's It was uh, basically being in charge of all the mobile products, um, revenues and marketing plans and uh, everything, really. And uh, yeah, then Tango came as an opportunity. I said live streaming. I remember something uh, about that. So I wanna, I want in. And here I am for the last uh, year, almost. That's an awesome path. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about Tango? What exactly differentiates the, the product? Like it's a really competitive uh, market. And, uh, and then we'll talk a bit about your approach for uh, mobile growth. So it's actually, it is a really interesting space. Um, I think I think we need to to really understand. We need to understand the call it the the scene, mm-hmm. uh, the global scene, and the and the trends that are um, that are happening in the in the Western world. So you could say you could see it's it's a mixture of a few things. One thing is the fact that people always want to socialize. Uh, we see you know the the penetration for social networks is huge everybody has you know their own online way of interacting with other people and we see on the um, as, as a trend not as a constant like uh, the need to interact as a trend shortening attention spans so we see TikTok emerging to the stage in, in recent years basically offering something that was there before right it's video it's you know, it's interesting. YouTube can say we we had the same thing, but their trick was making it short. So it was concise. It didn't take up too much of your time. You were able to consume the content in, an, in a minute yeah. rather than 12 minutes or 20 minutes. And pretty much, pretty much everyone, every other social um, platform kind of copied the, that, like YouTube has shorts, exactly. which is an insane product, by the way. It, it keeps me up at night, uh, not because I want to, it's because their algorithm is like so insane. It just gives you more and more like crazy stuff. It's like 10, 15, 20 seconds uh, videos. Um, of course, Instagram has reels, uh, so it seems that everybody copied it. Uh, I actually thought recently that it's gonna, it could be kind of nice if LinkedIn had such a thing, <laughs> like if if it was to be only oh. work related. And then I thought, and, and this is a free idea. Whoever wants to do it, uh, do it. Uh, but it's <laughs> like a social network for work, but it looks like TikTok or YouTube Shorts or something like that. I think that's brilliant, and I think uh, a main pain point for LinkedIn, uh, and you can t- LinkedIn, you can also take my understanding of your industry for sure. also for free. Um, I think they're a big challenge for them is monetizing um, to sell more things because you know obviously a lot of money goes a lot of eyeballs with a, with big wallets behind them spend time on LinkedIn, and if they could only tap into it a little bit better than they are currently able to and i think this is this could be their segue into it so i think it's a brilliant idea yeah all right so tango is kind of uh so it's not like that it's every everything is live right so if you if you continue on that trend and you think well you know we we were at 20 minutes 10 minutes now at a minute and a half let's say one minute clips now shorts maybe 20 seconds what's shorter than that and I think the shortest is now. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. There's no shorter than this is it. You know, it's happening now. You, you want it? 
there it is. You don't want to just, you know, zap away and, you know, keep on scrolling. So I think this is this is the trend that we are riding on one hand. But I, I guess we we have to also mention another trend. And I think that really because people are probably asking themselves. So, you know, like you said, there's there's live on also other platforms. Why do I need specifically Tango? And I think, well, not only the fact that we're only live, always live, and this is all we do, so we're professionals in live, you could say, but also it's the fact that I think um, it's it's our ability to answer another trend in consumer behavior, and that's the need for authenticity. Because I think as time passes, people people begin to understand that the current or previous depends how you how you look at it um social networks what re- what they really offered is free you know service but really it wasn't it wasn't free you paid for it with your privacy you paid for it with your data you became the product yourself for advertisers and in a sense you they also compromised in their model their model just made that happen they compromised the content that you were viewing on their network because everything was sort of, um, call it under, in the hierarchy, under the advertiser. So you you began to see influencers plugging products or or certain uh, bits of content. And as a a consumer, as somebody who uses the, the platform, you become more and more suspicious. You feel the lack of authenticity of what's going on. And tapping into that uh, on top of the fact that the shortest form is now, is live, I think Tango really, you know, hammers it and, and does it really well. And I think this is why we're leading the, call it the Western market right now in uh, in live streaming. Can you give us a sense of like uh, adoption and numbers of... Uh... At least ballparks or just to get a sense? Yes. So um, right now, I would say that we're seeing the highest sort of growth in terms of social networks. There are many different types of ways of people to interact. Like I said, the fastest growing is live streaming. And it's also the highest monetizing. So I can say that, for example, I think it was the latest report from uh, Data AI that said that three out of four dollars spent on social media all over the place is spent on live. So, so really where we, where we come in and we really shake the, the industry is our ability to monetize. So it's not like we're in the billions of, uh, of mouths like YouTube or TikTok or anywhere near really, but our ability to monetize is so much better um, because people are getting what they are actually there for. They get live interaction with their, with their favorite sort of creator or sometimes even becomes their friend and, and, and they become personal supporters because it's about real interaction. It's live, it's two-way, it's not uh, detached like curated content is sometimes. Really cool. So, yeah. Awesome. So, so let, let's talk a bit about your approach for um, or to mobile growth. Basically, it, there's two things that interest me here because one of them, you're marketing a network. So I read a few months ago 
I believe it was a few months ago, Andrew Chen's uh, book about uh, the cold start problem. And uh, he talks there a lot about like the, the difficulties in, in marketing and growing a network. Of course, you, uh, sometimes it results in a network effect that is like a huge advantage, but you do have like an audience who, who, who are the creators and you have all the other people that follow them or consume that content. Um, so what's your approach for, for mobile growth now uh, with uh, Tango? Well, I think, I think when you take everything we just discussed um, into consideration, you, you, you sort of expect demand for, for such a service to keep on rising because, you know, these trends will continue probably. You know, people will look to opt out of long form content or, or at least look to spend more of their time consuming short form such as live, and the yearn for connections, which is supplied um, in a superior fashion on live, and the authenticity. So given all these global trends, or, or call it society trends, um, we expect demand to keep on rising. So what we do and what we're, what we're after is positioning ourselves and making sure that we're there to capitalize on this growing demand and we when we continue to maintain top positions and we continue to improve our perception so when everybody will come to this consideration phase we will be there um as the most obvious natural choice um and yeah this this is this is like the overarching strategy and i think another thing that we try to do, and this is an ongoing quest, I think everybody's everybody's trying to, we're trying to also to try and reach people who still don't know that live is what they want. Because, you know, we, we, we spoke about it a couple of minutes before we started. I, I think most, maybe not most, but a lot of people are not aware of, of live social networks at all. And so they don't know that this is what they want. If if they knew about it, they may, they may like it, but they're still not those who we try to capitalize on their demand because there is no demand. They're not aware of it yet. So we're trying to find these pockets of people that we feel live will really answer what they want even before they know this is what they want. Cool. And and how do you achieve that? Like, how do you make sure that, because it's such a competitive space and, and you're a social network competing with all of the rest, of course, some of them are not live, um, at least not live content. And um, how do you do that? Like what works for, for you guys? Is it mostly based on performance marketing and spending on UA on those social networks or something else? Well, we do a bit of everything. Um, but I think, I think really what works for us is our ability to... Um, make ourselves easily selectable and easily adoptable. So if, if you look at the space, uh, there are a few um, other live streaming social networks coming out of the East. And their approach to, for example, uh, user interface and the general uh, user experience is far more complex, I think, uh, it's 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 kind of daunting for the Westerner uh, who first opens the app. You see all these buttons and bells and whistles. Um, it becomes quite confusing and intimidating, and I think it makes it a little bit more difficult. 
And for us, I feel like we're we're trying both on the product side, but also on the messaging side. So on the on the product side, on the pardon, on the on the product description side uh, and depiction and ads, etc. We try to to come off as it's it's as simple as as you can have it. I mean, you you, you just start and you're there, and it really is as simple as that. I mean, this is one of the things that the pl- platform prides itself uh, with. So um, for us, it's about making sure that we bring across our advantages and make sure that we promise what we know we can deliver. So it's real connections, it's authentic, um, it's always exciting also for the nature of being live. And uh, I think that answers to the the part of the viewers. You also mentioned the part of the content creators. We call them socialivers. Um, and, and for them, I think it's really what we discussed a few sentences before. It's about monetization. So if their ability was always to open up a YouTube channel and start loading content and hope that it gets some traction and until it monetizes and, you know, it's pennies that they keep on counting and stacking up. Uh, on Tango, it's immediate and, and it's far greater sums that, um, that small, the long tail of creators are able to achieve almost immediately um, because they're able to interact live and they're able to rally up support. And that support translates into, into micro, I didn't say that, but it's, it's based on microtransactions. So viewers express their support with gifts, gifts that uh, represent uh, coins, coins that they buy in our store, so for actual dollars. And then the creators are able to redeem those gifts back to dollar amounts on the other side. So uh, this is direct monetization and it's microtransactions. And we feel like uh, people are able to express their appreciation very easily with this. And of course, uh, quickly for the socialivers, it adds up to significant amounts. Yeah, that, that sounds uh, perfect. And and it's such an important point when, when it comes to networks. Again, that's where my mind goes. Um, because when you solve, like, of course, if you get the creators in, and if it's, it's a good creator, they probably have, uh, uh, you know, a following somewhere, uh, be it on Instagram or any other platform. And if they are convinced that your platform is the best way for them to interact with their audience and, and monetize their audience, um, it's like a growth loop. You get to one of these creators, then he would communicate the fact that he's on Tango with links and everything, and it gets you hundreds or thousands of new users to download the app. And then again and again, and one of those is actually also a creator. So then he sees another creator does that, and it goes again and again and again. So that's uh, pretty cool. Um, do, do you have some thoughts about like common mistakes that, that brands make when it comes to uh, to to mobile growth these days? Or something that you encountered and, and a mistake that, that you folks saw? Right. So um, I would say that if, if I have to think about something that I see relatively often being done that perhaps could have saved um, some efforts is, I think, over-formulation. So what, what do I mean by that? I feel like sometimes it's, it's 
It's the approach of what worked for me before should work for me again. And I mean, for me, as a, I mean, as a professional, even though you're promoting a different product right now than you used to. So you come with similar approach, with a similar approach, but not necessarily you go through the trouble of going deeper into the understanding of what your what your users are actually happy about. Uh, why do they stick around the current ones? What makes them happy? And 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 based on that, you're able to profile maybe the next batch of uh, of target audience. Uh, something that I think sometimes gets overlooked when when people immediately go to do what worked for them before. And I think I think it's um it's uh I don't know if to call it a mistake, but it's it's the go-to for for many people, also naturally, but sometimes we need to sort of go against our instincts and say, wait, just because it worked for me before doesn't mean it it needs to work for me again. It's a, it's a completely different audience. It's a completely different product. It's different needs that I'm answering right now or trying to answer. So I would say try to avoid overformulating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good tip. I mean, I, I saw it as well. I mean, I'm in B2B marketing, but, but it's the same thing. Even though it's another company and another SaaS product, and it looks like it's the same, but if you come in with what works for you, uh, what worked for you at a different company, and you bring in the same playbook, uh, it won't work. Like, there is no s- such thing as like a playbook that works all the time. It really depends on the mechanics of that specific audience. Where do they spend time? Uh, what drives them to do whatever it is that you're trying to market? Uh, so I think it's a really good tip. Yeah, um, exactly. So we we had a chat before uh, before this, and, and we talked a lot about... Uh, you know, iOS 14.5 and everything that happened with uh, privacy and, and the lack of personal data, uh, which is, of course, something that is still happening. Um, so when thinking about like developing a, a, a strategy for mobile growth um, these days, like as, as opposed to, I don't know, the past decade or so where you would simply in, in the, the most simplistic way to put it is like you had a budget, so you would put it in a black box, let's call it Facebook, they would drive you exactly the audience that you would want, like really high quality folks that are extremely highly likely to um, do whatever it is you want them to do, whether it's to buy something, download the app, register, uh, engage, and so on. Um, And that stopped working uh, pretty much around a a year, year and a half ago. So um, when somebody is, is... now developing a strategy for mobile growth, um, what do you think like is is the best way to look at it uh, when you don't have access to that personal data any any longer? Right. So yeah, I think it's definitely on everyone's mind um, in in our space. It's um, it's it's a huge challenge, um, and also ties well to the previous question of you know formulating. You, you were used to doing things a certain way. And, and it doesn't it doesn't work as easily right now as it used to if you keep on doing the same thing. So I think I think um, what can be done to sort of remedy this is is actually looking further in the past 
of, of what worked before data, because it's not like data was always available for marketers. There was marketing before there was data for marketing. And and it was still done and done well. Uh, the question is, how was it done? And I think there are resources available for us to you know, think about and take inspiration from. Even if we take just, I don't know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, um, certain television ads that uh, are, became iconic. For e- Each one has their own in mind, I'm sure, uh, that they can think of that were done really well, not based on a lot of data. Uh, they were based on, on call it, uh, marketing classics, like profile building, uh, like clever messaging, uh, like addressing emotional needs, um, and, and maybe, maybe branding in a sense of coming across as something, I don't know, classy, uh, able to perform, and, and other sort of things that there was just a reflection of of how well the ad was crafted. Um, so it, it, everybody presented on the same reel of commercials in, let's say, the 8 o'clock news. Um, so it wasn't really the targeting. It wasn't really the positioning. It wasn't timing. It was just better copy uh, and better polish and, and having everything sort of wrap, wrapped a little bit better and, and more polished. Yeah. You know, actually, what comes to mind when you when you talked about commercials, and probably if you're listening to this not from Israel, you won't know this, but uh, I'm sure that you remember that commercial for. Um, I wonder how you call it, like milky. It's it's like a type of a dessert um, for yeah. kids, usually like some chocolate and whipped cream and and like something like that. Imagine that, and there was a commercial with uh, these two women fighting over like the last one in the supermarket. It's like something I remember now from, it was maybe, I don't know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And I still remember it to this day. And I'm thinking about like displacement in the, in, you know, trying to target everybody, but still when they thought about ads and, and TV commercials, they still had targeting in mind. Like they knew that who's going to buy that is not the kids, is their mothers. Um, and they kind of had that approach of like, uh, showing the mother how how happy the kid is if she'll buy it and and so on so so they had targeting in mind no absolutely i mean the 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 ad was was addressing sort of weak spots in the armor of the mom and i know exactly the ad you're talking about um so the weaker parts in the armor of the mom but also the the ad was the commercial was exciting enough to get kids who were playing their games, I don't know, on the carpet to look at the TV at what's going on. These two moms fighting over chocolate. And then, of course, the eyes of the kids go to the moms like, mom, you got to get this for me, you know, win the fight, bring it home. And and, you know, the mom has to sort of become like the winner. You know, you, you the ad created this space for her to shine. So. It's a really great ad, um, and, and it shows. It shows exactly this. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because that kind of thought process that is ne- that I don't know. I think we, after everything that happened with privacy, we want something back, which is the chance to get back to thinking uh, in a really deep way about these kind of things, as opposed to the kind of habit that existed of create I don't know a hundred variations of an ad creative, throw them into a an ad network, 
they'll figure out what brings you the users that you want and you won't ever know why. You, you, you won't even need to think about why this is happening and, and, and the messaging there. So um, it just worked. Uh, so I'm excited about uh, the fact that folks need to think about these kind of things now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's, uh, it also speaks well to the future of man within uh, digital marketing. So mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as because if the if the previous trend would have would have continued, I think you would we would have seen eventually a great loss of uh, of positions in um, in digital marketing because you know it, it was all due to be done better by machines. Uh, but but as it stands right now with what we're talking about, no machine would come up with this idea of two moms fighting over the last chocolate in the supermarket for sure. You do have like a situation where it's kind of like man plus machine now because you have you still have these algorithms all around these ad networks that are really good at understanding um, what type of audience is responding well to to an ad, but they have way less capabilities and data to you know discover that audience beforehand and serve the ad just for them. So if you think about like the the exploration phase of when an ad is running. Uh, an ad network will show it to all sorts of segments and all sorts of audiences until they see who responds to it very well. So if you actually think very well about the, the audience that you want to target and you take that ad and give it to an ad network, uh, eventually, because you like the creative itself is the targeting, uh, you with your creative idea, you, cre- you told the ad network who you want to target, uh, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's also we're 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 not at the end of, you know, call it the privacy revolution. We're we're maybe in the midst of it. And I think we'll see these these overlapping um attitudes um in in the coming years. So we'll see maybe ads becoming a little bit better. Um, or with more uh, deeper thought process behind them. Uh, but it, it, it won't say that uh, the smart algorithms of networks will disappear. They will probably just take maybe a step back and try to be more sophisticated, um, but less precise uh, than they were before. And it's going to be like a, a combined approach eventually. For sure. And if we were already... Talking about creatives, uh, I want to ask you, as someone that, that oversees all marketing at Tango, uh, what role does branding and, and design play in, in your mobile growth uh, strategy? Right. So, you know, we, we, you mentioned it before, uh, how crowded the space is. Uh, you know, the, the constant need for, for human interaction and to have it uh, done online creates a fairly crowded space for us. And I think for many others as well. Um, it's it's quite rare when you operate in a space in today's day and age uh, when you don't have competitors. Um, so I think when you are operating in a crowded or even semi-crowded space, you have to take into account um, that your potential customer is considering you among alternatives. And... When, when they're doing that, and really, I think it connects well to other, other uh, points of our discussion today, um, they're, they're using these signs that you give off to them um, to, to make their decision if you're the right choice for them. And this is exactly where branding and design come into play. I mean, 
if if you're using the right visual language um, and your brand gives off the, the the sort of scent that fits what these uh, people are looking for, then they'll quickly choose you over the others. Um, and we know that it's it's like it's like uh, judging the book by the cover. It's not a wise thing, but it's a very common thing that happens all the time. And it's our position, you know, to to make the best cover that we can for for the product that we represent. And this this is, I think, especially given the previous question, you know, about data losing some of its importance. Um, it becomes more even um, important for us to focus on and to do well. Yeah, I mean, something really common that I see across the industry, and it's happening both on the mobile game side and, and on the app side, but all across mobile, is a huge focus on, on brand marketing. Like we talked about losing data and, and getting back to this, um, I think you called it uh, old school marketing, which I really liked uh, when we chatted. So it's... Um, the, the way that it, it is realized in the industry right now is that a lot of folks doing a lot of brand marketing, but they're not, but, but again, they're not doing it exactly as it was, uh, you know, decades ago. They, they do understand the, the connection between brand marketing efforts or a brand campaign or doing a TV ad or even a billboard campaign uh, and actually measuring the impact it does on how many people search for the brand. Or what's the uplift in the click-through rates on your ads because folks are now recognizing your brand uh, the second they see one of your ads. Um, so that's a, that's a really nice trend that I'm seeing. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, w- I will say, though, that there is something that um, maybe makes it a bit more complex to measure because it's complex as it is. Incrementality is, is complex. And to understand, um, but I think it it when you really look at things, you, you understand that they're even more complex than you think. Because what you are really after uh, is not the upper funnel. Y- you're interested uh, in the uh, you know you're after the dollars that come out on the other end. So it's not it's not the installs. It's not even the the second day retention. It's it's way, way, way down uh, in the funnel that you are interested in. And for that, it's difficult to understand how well branding does quickly, you know, with incrementality of that sort. With time, I think you are able to, to see. And sometimes when you do a, a great collaboration, like, I don't know, sponsoring a football team, let's say, could be you, you could see returns immediately. Um, you, you know that you did right, but usually it's not the case. And it takes, it takes a little bit of faith in, um, in building your brand and knowing that, that you won't see the returns immediately. But uh, with time, you'll be able to attract the right kind of people to your brand and, um, and not disappoint them, hopefully. Yeah. So they'll get what they're, what you promised. Yeah. That, that's what I like about this, uh, old school marketing is, as uh, you call it, because it's, it requires faith and, and the, the, I don't want to call it generations, but like uh, the, the previous generation of, of uh, mobile marketing, at least, um, it's, um, 
It's, it's basically getting addicted to direct attribution. Like if you can't, and it was like a, a cultural thing. Like if you would work within a team, uh, your boss would expect you to show him, um, I don't know, D7 ROAS on, on whatever campaign that you're running. You can't do that in, in an accurate, in a, you know, in a very accurate way with uh, brand marketing efforts. And that's why traditionally brand marketing just became weaker and weaker uh, as, as a, team within the overall marketing organization because, you know, giving like allocating a budget to them, you couldn't show like a, a, the very nice and accurate ROI that you could go on and show the CEO and he would be happy with the kind of budget that is uh, giving the marketing uh, organization. Um, but uh, so, so in order to, to do that, you need that belief, uh, both in the fact that you understand your audience and you know what drives them and you have these beliefs that you constantly update, but, but you know that something is going to work. You have to have that hunch, uh, which, which I like. It's the art side of marketing. Um, but you also need to detach yourself from that addiction to, for accurate measurement, like on a 8.34% D7 ROAS that you had in the past. You won't be able to say that probably with a huge degree of certainty in the future, uh, even if some companies are investing in a lot of data science and media mix models, it would give you a good sense of whether it's a, it's a profitable activity or not and, and some kind of range, but it's not the same accuracy that, that folks were used to. And, and that's also something that people need to get used to, I think. Agree. Um, cool. So looking to 2022, what's left of it at least, and, and 2023, what would you be focusing on uh, given this entire landscape uh, and, and how it's shifting? Uh, and what's your tip for other marketers, uh, mobile marketers to, to focus on in the coming year or so? I think we, you know, we just said it in, in other words, maybe answering different questions, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really trying to hone in on your old school marketing capabilities so try to invest a little bit more in the ad copy. Try to maybe do some more research before you start uh, into your existing user base and what drives them and what emotional needs you are able to answer them uh, for them or practical. Sometimes it's practical, of course. Um, what are you really delivering and why are they happy with you? If you if you'll understand that better, you'll better craft messages um, that would work, and you would better uh, highlight sort of the right um, call it the right focus. So actually, you know what? Maybe um, I can I can a, an example comes to mind sure. that um, in. Uh, at, at Platica, I think at a certain point we, we saw that some, well, uh, uh, a majority even of our users had other slots app installed. And that, that brought us to think that, you know, it means that nobody is really, not, not, maybe nobody is, 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 is too is too far taking it too far, but not a lot of people we are able to interest with the proposition of slot machines play money. You know, it's it's not something that we're able to excite the general public with. We are able though to showcase what we do very well for the call it advanced 
slots player. We could highlight in our ads that we have progressive jackpots. We could highlight the, the beautiful art we have in the games or, or the mini games, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and when we put the focus on those things, um, we saw much better uh, conversion for our ads. Because, and especially for payers, like we said earlier, we, we, we eventually want the users that are really happy about the product, not those that are giving are willing to give it a try. Uh, we want those who will stay for long term. And, and, and focusing on that really helped us. And this is just an example of, of taking actual data that was there for us. But if you profile well enough, you, you could do the same without that data. You can simply understand what you need to showcase in your ads um, that would work a little bit better for good, paying, happy customers. I love it. Yeah, definitely focusing and, and developing that muscle as a team is, is something uh, I think would, uh, would give you a huge return uh, in the next year or so. Hopefully. Cool. So we're uh, running out of time a bit, but uh, I do want to ask you a few questions that we ask all of our guests. All right. So first, uh, what's your favorite mobile growth resource? Like uh, somebody that you follow, something that you read, a newsletter, a podcast? A community. Well, I like I like the tool. I actually, it's it's a, a simple answer. Um, but I like uh, diving into uh, you know previously App Annie and uh, the data AI. Just looking into in trends, especially the ones that go from zero to five, not those that go from fifty to sixty, but seeing something suddenly emerge um, is very interesting, and I think sometimes can teach you something. About, uh, about shifts and, uh, and what to try, at least ideas of what's worth trying. Um, so that's one tool. And I think uh, the second thing I would mention is just, you know, talking to my friends at the industry you know, um, in other positions, other products, you know, every, every few years or so, there is some, some changes um, of positioning and they learn new things and they can teach you and they can connect you well. And I think that's a great resource to have and to use. Awesome. Um, and almost the last question, but the most important one, um, what is your favorite flavor of pancake? Right. So I prepared for this one. I think you're going to love it. It's, uh, it's true and it's original. So I like my pancakes with bananas, peanut butter, and hot chili. Hot chili? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I urge you to try it. I, will. I actually lost in a bet uh, a few weeks ago and I ate. Um, it was, I didn't eat. I mean, it's, it was a bite from uh, uh, Carolina Reaper. It's like, uh, oh, it's, wow. uh, it's, it's, not, it's not already, it's, it's, there was a kind of a contest of like the hottest chili in the world and it lost its position as number one, uh, but it's still extremely dangerous. Don't try it. Um, I lost in a bet, so I had to do it, but uh, I'll definitely try once my taste buds uh, get back to, uh, to themselves. <laughs> how, how much in, in like micrograms? How much did you taste from that? Uh... I don't know. It was like a real chili. It's like kind of round and it just gave it a bite and, and I burned for like hours. Wow. Oh, brave. Yeah. I had to drink uh, milk. <laughs> Brave man. I uh accept bets of all kind of uh, all kinds of bets uh, and I usually lose. So <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um cool. That, that was original. Uh any folks want to reach out to you and talk about marketing and and growth and stuff like that? Where can they find you? So always welcome, of course. And uh, I guess LinkedIn. It's 
the most simple, awesome, straightforward way. Search for Ariel Cohen. Cool. So that was a pleasure. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed talking with you. Chat with you soon. Yeah, me too. Thank you very much for having me. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.